Father in heaven, as we begin our, uh, our study and our um, lesson time today, we pray that your Holy Spirit will once again be here. We want to learn how to do our work in the best possible way for you. We want to serve you faithfully and represent Jesus aright. And Lord, you've called deacons and deaconesses to carry a certain uh, responsibility in the local church. May that become clearer today and how to accomplish that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I should probably really save this for the time when we talk about conflict, which is not today. But anyway, here's a, here's a little bit of a, of a conflict situation. It's in a chapter entitled, Is This Really Worth Fighting Over? By the way, there are books up here. If you're uh, coming into this class for the first time because it's the advanced course, we still will be using uh, as a foundational uh, set the three books that you see up here. So make sure you grab, the, grab those and, and take advantage of that, okay? All right. This is uh, the illustration that he gives here. The principle of relinquishing rights to advance God's kingdom was illustrated in one of my first conciliation cases. Now, one of the points that he brings out, and I, and I get into this too deep, and then we're going to get off of what we were going to talk about today, but in talking about relinquishing your rights, do we have certain rights? Yes, we do. Even by law, we have certain rights. Thank you. Um, we have certain rights by law. And in our church, we have certain rights. You know, for example, if somebody accuses you of something, you have certain rights to be able to, to say, wait a minute, you've got the wrong idea, you've got the wrong information, you've got whatever. You just don't have every, everything quite right. And you have a right to defend yourself. You have a right to uh, be able to share your story in front of the church. Rights, whatever. But sometimes those rights get in the way of what God's trying to really do for us. And that's where our conflicts really start to become a problem. Yeah, you might want to let me move. Go ahead and move it back if you don't mind. Okay, you were yeah, no, that's okay. All Just right. make sure that I stay in it. That, that's really good. So thank you for doing that. So here, here he's talking about relinquishing your rights. And he said, um, Ted worked for a government agency. As a new believer, he was excited about his salvation and wanted to have a positive witness for Christ among his co-workers. Ted and his supervisor, Joan, had never gotten along well, partly because Ted continually tried to tell her how to run her department. His enthusiasm for Christ provoked her further. As her frustration toward Ted increased, Joan gave him particularly difficult work assignments, even though she knew he had a back problem. Eventually, he injured his back and had to leave work for several months. Although he received some disability benefits, Ted lost several thousand dollars due to missed wages and additional medical expenses. As a result, he filed a lawsuit against Joan and the agency. By the time Ted came to see me, this is a lawyer now, but he works by applying Christian principle, and here he's working with Ted, a Christian, right? So he says, by the time Ted came to see me, he'd returned to work and the lawsuit was moving slowly through the court system. During our first conversation, Ted and I identified several ways he had contributed to the conflict with Joan. See what the, what the guy's doing? He's helping him to understand that he's contributed to the problem. And so um, 
He says, then seeing his own fault more clearly, Ted began to consider settling the lawsuit by accepting the $5,000 the agency had offered him a few days earlier. Although his damages exceeded that amount, his attorney advised him to accept the settlement. On the other hand, several of Ted's friends were encouraging him to demand more money or continue the litigation. A few days later, Ted surprised me by saying that he was going to drop his lawsuit without accepting the settlement offer. The more he had reflected on his own fault in the matter, the less comfortable he felt about accepting money from the agency. At the same time, he concluded that laying down his right to restitution would be an effective way to demonstrate the mercy and forgiveness that he himself had received from God. Interesting principle, right? When we come... Make sure you bring your book back, uh, Kathy. When we come to it, I'll share with you the rest of the story. You have to come to class, though. <laughs> All right, thank you. That's, uh, that's great. I, I love having that. Uh, what? Oh, um, sort of. But don't worry. Don't, why, why is it back in your... No, no, I just wanted to... Oh, yeah, you should. If that's what you're asking, the answer is yes. <laughs> Anybody else like one? <laughs> Thank you very much for getting us. Okay, we want to um, talk today a little bit about the kinds of things that uh, we can do about caring for other people and ministering to people's needs. We've talked a little bit about it, but I want to go a little farther in it, and I encourage you that as we're doing this today that you begin to think back to your local church, whatever your context is, whether it's Pioneer Memorial or it's uh, Houghton Hancock, whatever your church context is, think about how would you do what we're talking about doing here as a deacon or a deaconess. Now we've got some new folk in here. How many of you are deacons? How many of you deaconesses? And how many of you are spies? Okay, we've got a couple spies. Okay, good. All right, we're glad to have you all here. Spies are welcome as well. And we want to, uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that can be done in relationship to the work of being a deacon or a deaconess. Again, this is our textbook that we're using. Um, those of you that are new today and coming in just for the advanced portion of this class, um, were you also in my cl basic class that I've taught in the past? Anybody that's from a basic class in the past? I mean, either here or in the past. Yeah, Kathy. All right. Very good. Well, I'm not going to try to set the stage for what we've done here before. So if you come in today in the advanced course and you haven't done this, go back and read some of the materials that are here and you'll get a little bit of the foundation that we've stayed settled for all of this. But mainly what I'm going to be doing is going into part four in your book and talking about the work of the deacon and the deaconess and the kinds of things that are um, here for, for us to be involved with. I'm not going to be talking, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the communion service and baptism and so on because th that I consider to be basic and just about every deacon and deaconesses, deaconess has been schooled in that in their local church unless you're new at it and that's something that you've that you've not gotten. But that's in the handbook and there's details in there and, and so on and so forth. And he's got ideas in here and he's even got quite a bit of, of uh, area here in dealing with all of that. But what I want to spend a little bit more time on is, um, 
in chapter 19. Chapter 19, which is beginning on page 143. I want to talk a little bit about visitation. And we're doing this, If you, some of you are overlapping between the elders and the deacons. And if you're in both classes, you're going to get some overlap. Although I don't use this book in the elders class. But nonetheless, we're going to talk a little bit about some of these things. But the ministry of visitation is a most neglected, I didn't say the most, I said a most neglected ministry of deacons and deaconesses in our local churches. A lot of deacons and deaconesses have not recognized that this is part of what God wants us to do and be involved with. And um, the elders are in the same boat. I want you to know that because there's been a lot of talk about that. Some pastors have even been effective in orchestrating that type of uh, a work in their local church, that ministry in their local church, all of which is good. But most churches, most Adventist churches, their elders, their deacons, and their deaconesses do not have an active visitation ministry. If there is any visitation ministry, it's more of a hit and miss or an emergency based visit, a basis visit, maybe when the pastor's gone, going to the hospital because the pastor's not there, or the pastor, you know, they, they're in between pastors, and so the elders are covering some of that and just trying to keep that part of it going so the church doesn't fall apart, rather than a carefully orchestrated ministry. And one of the things that I want us to be able to see here and think of is thinking outside of the box. And that box is the church. Let's think inside the box and make sure we get it right inside the box. But let's also think outside of the box and what there is possibilities for us to, in terms of ministry and soul winning. Because remember, as we've said, we are Christians and disciples first, correct? Every Seventh-day Adventist is a disciple, a Christian and a disciple, or they really aren't Seventh-day Adventists. So you, you understand what I'm getting at. So if we are that, we're involved in caring about and winning souls. But when we become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, we may uh, get involved in some leadership role in the local church. And we get involved in that leadership role, we find that that may give us a more specific ministry. For example, if you, um, if you get involved in community service work, that's a very specific ministry. There's soul winning going on in that because of the nature of its work, but you're very targeted in what you're doing. Or maybe it's personal ministries, or maybe it's Sabbath school, or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's um, uh, pathfinders or adventurers or some of these other kinds of ministries. But we should never forget that whatever that ministry is that God gives us, we are still first disciples. And disciples are soul winners. And so we should always be looking at every job that we might take and responsibility we take on the church is how can I incorporate soul winning into that, that job? For example, pathfinders. How can I involve soul winning into the pathfinder ministry? And Pathfinders is not just getting kids together and marching them around in circles for a while and then uh, helping them earn a few honors and then sending them home. If, the, if you have Pathfinders that go through all of Pathfinders, come through Pathfinders, and they've got every badge, honor, honor badge that they possibly could be had, they stand at the gates of the, the pearly gates. <laughs> you know the illustration here, you know what I'm saying. They stand at the pearly gates and say, I'm a Pathfinder and I'm in uniform, and Jesus says... Depart from me, I never knew you. Did you do your work right as a Pathfinder leader? No. No, you didn't. 
So that's a question you want to have. All right, Joyce, I see you. I have a question before mm -hmm. we get started. Okay. It goes back to communion. Mm -hmm. We have not had a pastor mm -hmm. uh, since last year, mm -hmm. and we have not ever had communion. You didn't have communion when you yeah, had a pastor. We have communion with other pastors. Mm -hmm. The answer is yes. And we should have been. Yeah. That was an easy answer, wasn't it? Yep. And that's part of the reason, Joyce, why I'm doing the training that I'm doing, is because all of these kinds of situations develop out there. And when they be, you know, we talked about that ironically today, didn't we, Jim, in, in, in the elders? We were talking specifically about that. And we're training elders in relationship to that task. And, and we're saying, you know, how do you go about doing this? And there are two ways to do that. The first is the appointed head elder of the church can do it. I, I, and I understand. And the second option is you can get somebody to come and help you with that who is an ordained minister. And, and you can uh, do that by a number of different ways, seeing if there happens to be a local pastor around you that might be able to assist with that. Um, in your case, you had an interim pastor, and that would have been a good chance, but the only problem with him, with him is he got busy in the evangelistic meetings and so on. So the answer is yes, you should still do it. Yes, you still can do it, but there's some protocols you need to follow. And others call me. Um, that's a good question. Let me look at that a little bit later and I'll talk about it, okay? It's a really good question. And it's the kind of thing that you need to be thinking about. What do you do if you don't have? What are you going to do if all the pastors get thrown in jail? Right? You're not going to have any communion anymore when they're all in jail? Well, okay, they're in jail. We shut down the churches. Let's go home. You can still work it out, right? You can still work it out. Okay, let's keep going. Let's go to chapter 19, page 143. I want to talk a little bit about visitation. And here, when, when, with what I'm talking about, recognize that there are two main uh, offices in the church that are involved in visitation of the church members on, an, on a uh, regular basis. The elders and the deacons and the deaconesses, and I'm lumping those, the deacons and deaconesses together. And that's where that ministry is there. But we have typically thought of the elders as doing that, but we've thought less and less of deacons and deaconesses doing that. But here's what he points out on page 143, the very first paragraph. He says, The instruction given in the church manual concerning the visitation of members is an important duty belonging to the elders is that of visiting church members in their homes. You are awake. I'm glad. The duty belonging to whom? Okay. And you can put in deaconesses in there as well, because he says that right at the end. In many churches, this is arranged by a distribution of membership by districts, assigning a deacon to each district with the expectation that he will visit each home at least once a millennium. I'm just checking. This duty, now outside of the manual, this duty is also listed as a responsibility of the deaconesses. So this is the church manual and saying in many churches, I think they actually said, yeah, many churches. I don't think they meant many churches in the North American division. They probably meant to say some churches in the North American division. 
because I doubt that many churches, well, if you take them all, and then, yeah, you could say many in using the term literally. But if I go into the Michigan Conference and I start to think about the churches here, now, we'll take a little poll here, and, and it's anonymous because nobody can see you, the camera's pointing at me, all right? And so there's no recording telling you who it is, but let's just be honest for a moment. Shock me if you need to, but whatever. How many of you have a carefully orchestrated ministry of visitation for your deacons and deaconesses in your church? See? I wasn't lying, was I? I figured that there would be about that number of hands raised. All right? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's all right. Your hands up too? Are you you're saying yes, you have a great. That's wonderful. Now listen, let me tell you. Do not feel guilty about this because I told you as we've been talking in this class, I may give you a lot of things that will overwhelm you, but don't go away feeling guilty. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. My church is awful, you know, and, and all of that. No, this is your op. You came here to be trained. If you already knew it and you were already doing everything, why'd you bother? Just to be encouraged, that's okay, that's good too. But you came here because you're trying to say, all right, what do we need to do to strengthen our church? And that's one of the things that I'm saying to you needs to be done to strengthen your church. Hand, please. Uh, we're not really here uh, for the Wisconsin, or that's over here, uh, for the brothers Christians here. This year also, we we're going to uh, go different homes and uh, try to keep them from the vision. That's right, yep, good, good, good job. Now, let's talk a little bit about visitation and what it involves. What are we talking about? What do we mean? And I'm going to handle this a little differently than I do when I'm dealing with elders. Because elders are the spiritual leaders of the church. Yes? Okay. So elders are the spiritual leaders of the, of the local church. Deacons and deaconesses, are you spiritual people? Yes. Absolutely you are. And you are involved in spiritual leadership as well. So I do not want you to get the wrong idea. But I do want you to think about visitation in terms of some of your specific responsibilities in meeting the needs of your parishioners. Because theoretically, a well-oiled machine is where the gears are all mixing with each other as they should be, and everything turns and works together as it should. And um, if everybody's doing the same job as, as the other person in the church, then somebody's not needed. So there must be some aspect of this that is especially important for you and what you're doing. And that's what we're talking about here today. So talk about what are the reasons for visitation. What are you there to do? The next paragraph lists some of those. And I do it this way because I want you to see that. You can mark it down, you can underline it, and it'll be there to register in your mind. Most people learn in more than one way. One is, a, is visually, another is audibly, and other people by uh, writing things down and all of that. But the more of those you combine together, the more you actually learn. But if you only just sit there and look at me and listen to me, you're basically getting audible. And that is only going to get you about 20% uh, memory rate. Mm -hmm. All right? So the next paragraph says, Some of the reasons for visitation are to become better acquainted with the membership. To do what? So, yes. It's what visitation is, what you thought it was. It's so that you can get to know people. 
That's why you go to visit people, right? right? You want to get acquainted with them. Now, the truth is, because your churches haven't had a visitation program, it's very possible that most of your interaction and your acquaintance with the members of your church has been after potluck or in Sabbath school class or whatever, and think about how light and how shallow that is. I didn't say it's bad. I just said it's light and it's shallow. We need that interaction. We need that fellowship. But it's light and it's shallow. It's not in depth. It's not really getting acquainted with people. In some cases, you don't even hardly know that the person sitting across from you at potluck has three kids. They're all grown because they don't come and you don't even know that reality because you haven't known them long enough and all your acquaintance has been very brief. But there are other things that you don't know anything about and some of them are very important. So number one, better acquainted with a membership. Number two, strengthen new members and absentee members. Folks, there's a whole ministry right there. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you are familiar with the new discipleship handbook Michigan Conference has developed. How many of you are familiar with it? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. You're doing it at your church. You did it at your church. Very good, very, very good. You might be mad at me with what I'm about to do. We have an outreach also. Great. Let me, uh, let me tell you what I've got here. And actually, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, I know. That's good, too, because of what I just did. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to get into this uh, so much, but here's what I'm going to do. So how many of you do not have a copy of this book? All right. Do not have a copy of this book. Oh, we're in good shape. We're in good shape. Well, give your hands up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hey. Now, you take that book and you take it back and get your money back or share it with somebody else, whatever you choose to do. You can take this book and share it with somebody else if you want to. But I've got ten copies. Is it the same wisdom? Like this? Yes. Yeah. You too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we're trying to find some more. We didn't have enough up here. I got 10 here, and we're going to get some more along the way. But I'll tell you that I want every one of you to have a copy of this book, and I'm providing you a copy of that book. You're going home with a library today, or I mean, right, in the next little bit. But you need to have this book, and you need to be helping people along this, this road. And what I just talked about there, you can get this afterwards. You don't have to get it now. But, uh, and I'll get some more, and uh, we'll have, uh, by the end of the week, we should have some more up here, make sure everyone gets one. And, and whether you buy one or not is up to you, but I want to make sure you all have one. So, second reason, strengthen new members. That's what this is all about. And um, the illustration that I've used is that if, wouldn't it be wonderful that if a, a lady is baptized and she comes out of the baptistry, and the deaconess helps her get out of the baptistry, and then the lady goes and changes, and, and then she comes out of there, and she's welcomed by the church, and then she goes on for the rest of her Christian life on her own. Is that a good idea? No. Is that what's happening in our churches? Yes. If that's a bad idea, why are you continuing to let it happen? 
<laughs> okay, so don't continue to allow it to happen. Take and realize that there are tools available for you. It's not hard. It takes time. And you start investing exactly, and that's the way it ought to be. I love to hear that. That's exactly the way it ought to be. Somebody should be saying, this person and these people and that one are here because of doing this right. So, But deacons and deaconesses, that's part of your work, okay? And you can be involved in that. And instead of pastors struggling to find somebody to carry this, they already have it built into their church in deacons and deaconesses. Doesn't mean it can't be somebody else. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be somebody else. But at least it should be... Um, in, involve deacons and deaconesses, and they should at least be making sure it happens. If you only have one or two baptisms a year and somebody else is providing that discipleship process, that's fine. But when God starts giving you 20 and 30 baptisms a year, 50 and 60 baptisms a year, you better be ready for it if you plan to keep them. And God's already starting to do it, so get ready. All right, absentee members. What about the members that are missing? No, one of the, about the only ministries we have to our absentee members is when the board gets together and says, well, we haven't seen this person in 30 years. Let's take their name off the books. Well, we can't do that until we try to find them. So let's try to find them 30 years later. And that's the extent of our ministry to absentee members. I think that's not quite right, right? Our ministry should involve dealing with absentee members after about the first three weeks that they became absent. And that's what we should be doing. And deacons and deaconesses should be aware of that. And it's a lot easier for you to do that if you're a deacon or a deaconess and you have a territory, as the church manual outlined here, actually organized for that. And you know that Sue Smith was in your... Anybody named Smith here? Um, and Sue Smith stopped coming after, you know, after being baptized and and four weeks have gone by, and you say, wait a minute, four weeks? I haven't seen Sue Smith. I've been on vacation for two of them, and I didn't realize that was going on, but she's in my area. I know that I need to go check up on her, and bang, somebody's there. It wasn't the pastor who had to worry about her. It was you that worried about her, the deaconess or whatever. So, okay, that's another one. Reclaim, reclaim backsliders. Same thing with absentee members, but backsliders have gone a little farther. They haven't been there for a long time. Next thing, call on the sick and the shut-ins. Um, next one, identify and follow up on the needs of the elderly, the disabled, the widows. What does that sound like? It sounds like the Bible. It sounds like Acts chapter 6, doesn't it? There was a problem in the church. That's why deacons were formed in the first place and deaconesses on their heels. All right, caring for the widows and the single parents, such as house cleaning, yard work, meals, transportation, child care, home weatherization, and other improvements. <laughs> Getting tired yet? Next thing, address family crisis, such as spiritual problems, disaster, illness, domestic violence, bereavement, marital problems, financial problems, and child's behavioral problems. And encourage faithfulness in matters of stewardship. It's too bad there isn't anything for you to do as a deacon or a deaconess. <laughs> and this is all under one category called visitation. Because all of these things are opportunities that lie at your door if you will visit your members. You may say, I don't want all those, visit, those opportunities. 
But the truth is, that's why you're a spiritual leader in your church. And God has appointed you for this particular purpose to be able to strengthen folk and help them with these issues, all the way down to the issue of their own stewardship experience. I'm not just talking about their financial support in a perspective of stewardship, but I'm also talking about their support of the local church in terms of time and their investment in, in God's work in all the different ways that God gives them in time and talent and the other things that come under the category of stewardship. That's all part of the responsibility of deacons and deaconesses. All right, so let's talk about the visit. Now that you've got some idea of the kinds of things that are your duty and your responsibility and your opportunity when you go to visit people, let's talk about how you go about doing that visit, okay? So if you look here, um, he's got some good guidelines for visiting, and I like the things that he's given here. And I'm going to look at each one uh, a little bit because those are, in, when it comes to visit, the details matter. The most important detail is do it. But now that you're getting ready to do it, you want to have some ideas in mind of what you want to do. The first is, is the best plan is visiting in twos. So if it's deacons and there's deaconesses, depends on who you're planning to go visit. My suggestion is that if you have a single mother and, uh, and uh, maybe a couple of kids, the deaconesses should go visit her. Not the deacons, but the deaconesses should go visit her, okay? If the deaconesses get there and begin to find out there's some things that um, some men typically, some deacons or deaconesses typically might help to resolve for her. I'm not saying ladies can't fix a car, for example, but maybe the gentlemen have skill in that area and they want to involve them in that, in that capacity. And then maybe the deaconesses would come back to the head deacon and say, look, this is what we discovered. Who in, the, who in your, deaconess, uh, your deacon team could go and help her with this car problem she's having? whatever, that's what you're doing in your visits. Two by twos going along. And he points out the husband and wife team is ideal, and that's absolutely true. And I know that in a lot of churches, there are husband and wives that are deacon and deaconess, and that's great if that happens. In some cases, a, an elder and a deaconess or whatever. But a husband and wife team is ideal because they can go anywhere. And you don't have any questions or any problems with that. But I'll let you work through those details. I'm not going to talk to you about all of that. Just a warning again. Warning again. Watch out for the traps that the devil lays in this whole situation. And, you know, and, a, and a deacon who's not married to the deaconess should not be getting in the car together and going off to visiting and all that kind of thing. So I just want to make sure all of that's clear. All right, on the next page, the second item is dress appropriately. There's a, a tendency in our society to get more and more casual, right? Some of it's okay, but it is interesting to me. I think it was NPR I was listening to a few weeks ago, and they were talking about the impact of dress on the way people respond and react. It's really interesting to me that secularly we can figure this out, but spiritually we can't get this figured out. The truth of the matter is, people treat you differently the way you're dressed. They just do. They treat you differently. If you look professional, they treat you professionally. Somebody was just telling me recently that they um, sort of tested that out a little bit. They did it more or less accidentally, but they went to the store 
They were trying to deal with something, get something replaced or whatever. I don't know what it was. And the first time they went to visit the store and talk to whoever it was they needed to talk to, they were like coming off of work and work clothes or whatever it was, I don't know, or been working around home. And they weren't dressed very professionally at all. They were in, you know, work-type clothes. And then they came back a couple days later, and this time they were dressed in a suit and tie. And the difference in the way they were treated by the same people was marked. Test it out. Tell me if it isn't true. And especially if you're dealing with a difficult problem area or a crisis issue or something you want to take back, (laughs) you know, and you want to be treated well, test it out. Do your own little experiment. Write it up. Anyway, dress appropriately. He says deacons should wear a coat and tie. Deaconesses should modestly attire in a dress or a skirt and a blouse. You're going representing Jesus there. And we're talking about a formal visit. We're not talking about an informal visit. And I know that people say, well, the younger people might feel more comfortable in, in more casual attire. Yeah, maybe. But I still think that the principle applies. And I don't think anybody's ever really going to fault you if you are dressed up more than that. By the way, there's a fan behind you there. I think there's a switch on it. You might want to turn it on and see. You're going to be right in front of it. But um, if you can make that thing blow, I remember the last time we had a class here in the afternoon, it started getting quite warm. So if we can kind of maybe move that somewhere. You may not want her just on you, but getting it, there you go. She's, she's, she's good. I can tell you're a deaconess. You're on it. All right, so um, that's, that's the first thing. I'm not going to bog down on that. Number three, visit the home. All right. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. Deacons and deaconesses especially should visit in the home. But be forewarned that not everybody's comfortable with having you in their home. You may have to start somewhere else. There may be several reasons for it. It may be that they just don't have the gift of housekeeping. It may be they're in the middle of some kind of a project in their home. It may be a number of different things that, you know, family issues that they have or whatever. And there may be some real challenges with that whole situation. I remember that I visited some of my church members and some of it was at their request. And that's why I was easily able to get away with it. But I visited some of my church members in one of my early churches. And as I visited that particular family, when I got to their home, I had to literally work my way through an aisle in their home because of all the bags of newspapers and bags of mail and bags of everything else that were in that kind of situation. And some people are uncomfortable with people in their home if, they, if that's the kind of home housekeeping situation that they may have. But there may be other reasons why they're uncomfortable with you being in their home. They may have an impeccable house and still not be uncomfortable uncomfort- uh, with you being there. That doesn't mean that you can't visit them and to visit them somewhere else, maybe at the church. Maybe you can invite them to your home. Maybe you can do whatever seems to be comfortable with them. But you're going to find that there's some people that are uncomfortable with visiting, period. And it's going to take some time to work through that. But let me tell you, there is a spiritual issue here in relationship to that connection and that visitation with people. And there is a reason to go to the home. Because the home eventually tells you something about the needs of that particular person. 
you will discover things in a person's home, and I don't mean by snooping, I mean just by sitting there, you'll learn something about that person. Most people have family pictures uh, on the wall or on the mantle or something like that. You won't learn those kinds of things and we don't even think of the, some of those questions unless you happen to be in that home and you look there and you see somebody dressed in an army uniform or somebody dressed in a navy uniform or somebody, whatever. You just see those kinds of things and it, and it gives you an opportunity for conversation and, and etc. There are other things you learn by being in their home. You learn physical needs and spiritual needs. You learn lots of different things. If you're visiting the elderly, you find out whether or not they're able to maintain their home. If it's a widow whose husband died two years ago and nobody's gone to visit that lady in her home, you don't know that her gutters are falling off and that the, the, uh, the porch has uh, come loose from the foundation of the house and, and the, pay, the house needs painting and all of those kinds of things that she never did, that the husband always did before he died and nobody else has taking care of it because she's got no kids and the neighbors don't worry about it. But the church members might be able to figure that out. So visiting in their home is a good thing. Now he says here, this is always interesting, the kinds of discussions you have. In the material that I got from the general conference and I presented to the elders, the elders say, the elders material says, be sure you make an appointment. He says here, however, don't be afraid to drop by. Well, I think that's true because he says it's best to call and schedule visits. But you have to be careful how you use all of that. But they do work. There are times when you do need to drop by. I'll tell you one time that I would drop by is if I've tried and tried and tried to get an appointment to visit and never can, then I'm going to drop by because I want that person to know I care about them. And if I don't get in that house, that's fine. But I've sent a clear message you're not going to be in this church and ignored. We care about you. We're going to pray. We're praying for you. We care about you. Even if I never get inside your home, we care enough to come out where you are and to talk to you and let you know that we love you and that, uh, that you are important to us. So there's part of that. All right. So visiting the home, look at some of that. The spirit of the visit. Pray before entering the home. Maintain the attitude of prayer throughout the visit. It is not a social visit. It is a, it is a spiritual visit. Now, I say this a little different than the elders, but it's not that different. And the reason I said it's a little different is because the elders are not specifically going there to try to identify what are some of the physical needs of this family or of this home or, or whatever. Do they need food? Do they need um, clothing? Do they need financial uh, support to get through an emergency? Is their house falling apart? Uh, the kinds of things that deacons and deaconesses are especially charged with. But you're still spiritual. And so when you're going to that visit there to visit in that home, it's a spiritual visit in that home. And if you're really doing this right, you're coordinating your visitation with the elders. You might even be, what a radical thought, going with an elder. Even if you're a deaconess, you can still do that. I don't want to get into the elder of me and male and female thing and all that, but there are lots of different ways that that can be. But at the very least... You should be coordinating your visitation with the elders. I encourage you that the elders and the deacons and deaconesses get a meeting at least once a year and sit down and talk about what are we doing to meet the needs, whatever those needs are, but the needs of the local church members. 
and the elders say, okay, well, we've, uh, we are scheduling visitation, and we're planning to visit all of our members on our list once a quarter. All right, and the deacons say, well, we're planning to do the same thing. We're planning to, uh, with the deacons and deaconesses, we're going to work out and make sure that our people in our territory get that uh, kind of a visit as well. Well, what are you planning to do when you go to the visit? Well, we're planning to do this, say the elders. The deacons say, okay, great. We can build on that, and we could say, like, when we go to the visit with the, uh, in the home, and you let us know that you went by and you visited so that we know that when we go, what it was you did. And the elders say, well, our plan is we're going to take the steps to Christ to every single member and make sure they have one. If they have one of their own, we're going to give them a, a study plan that's going to encourage them that we're all going to be studying the steps to Christ together right now and, and all. And you say, okay, that's great. Now, when you get to that home and give that, that, that's excellent because when we come there as a deacon or I come there as a, as a deaconess, I'm going to be able to say, so how is it going with your study of the book Steps to Christ? Coordination, consistency makes you a much stronger worker for the Lord and is helping to accomplish great things. People start taking seriously what you've suggested when people start coordinating it together. It's something like doing Unlock Revelation. People start getting serious about coming to a meeting when every place they go on planet Michigan, you see a poster or you see a billboard or you see a flyer or you see a, a, a something in somebody's yard. You say, wait a minute, these people are serious about this. Maybe I need to go to that. And church members happen to work the same way. So my suggestion then is you're coordinating with us. All right. I could go really get going on this. Can you tell? The nature of the conversation. What are you going to do when you're there? You're having an attitude of prayer. You're going to begin with prayer in that visitation because it's a spiritual visit. But what are some of the things that you're going to try to do? And here's where we're getting to what I was talking about. The elders are coming in, specifically zeroing in on the spiritual things. You're spiritual and you're watching for those because they all interact with each other. But Try to assess, this is number five, page 144. Try to assess the needs of the family. Engage them in conversation about their home, their church, their community, their employment, members of their family, and themselves. Document your assessment of the family's needs on a membership visitation form. And there's one back here, it's pointed out. There's a sample there, but there are not a number of different ways to do that. And he quotes there from James 1.19, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Good idea here. This is not about gossip. It's about listening to God. I'm not listening to gossip, but listening to their needs. If they start talking about various complaints, don't take sides. Don't all get in the middle of a family fight either by any means. That's one of the worst things that you can do because blood is thicker than water. You know that. Don't try to defend the pastor or church officer or a member with whom the family may have some differences. Stay objective and assure them that you will join them in prayer for the situation. But you're in that home and you're not going around and saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm here for our annual assessment and I have a list of things that I need to check off. Uh, first of all, would you take me to your refrigerator, please? I need to take a look. And uh, all right, then after that, I need to look at the kitchen cupboards and I want to make sure you have enough food. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? But what I am talking about is you're sitting there, you're listening to the kinds of things that you hear, but your eyes are not 
but you are sitting there and your eyes are observing what you're seeing around you. And you may see that the gutters are falling off. You may see that um, uh, the house could use some physical attention of some kind. But because you're there, you may also, in your friendship visitation with them, you might say, you know, one of the things that that uh, I like to do when I'm going and visiting people in their homes, and one of the things we as leaders in our church do is we want to make sure that all the needs that our church has, uh, our members have, are being met. And uh, But we sometimes we don't know what to, what to meet if we don't know what the needs are. So how are you doing? Now, most people who may be struggling won't say anything to you. But some people, some young mother who lost her job two weeks ago may have just gotten up off her knees and said, Lord, I don't know where I'm going to get food from. I don't have any place to go. I don't know of any organization that can help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you show up at their door. Or you had an appointment and you're coming there and she's wondering if she should do something or say something. This is always your opportunity. If you ask you, you don't want to say, do you have enough food to eat? That's not the question you want. You want to say, are there any needs that you have? Is there something that we can do? Some people will say it. Some people won't. But you've opened the door. And it may be that they won't tell you then, but they may see you in church and they said, you know, I really didn't tell you all the story. And then they'll tell you the rest of the story. But because you went there, they've got the rest of the story to tell you. But if you haven't been there, there's no rest of the story because you never started the conversation. Okay? So, absolutely. Oh, yes, please. Don't forget that what you're doing here should not show up on Facebook. Okay? And, uh, and all of that. That's a whole other conversation. Length of the visit. Most visits should be about 15 to 25 minutes. My suggestion is that the first visit should be about 15 to 20 minutes. That's about what I told the elders that that should be. Um, but if you come back for other visits, they might be longer if you have reason to be there longer, okay? But the idea of visiting periodically is because people's circumstances change. And also, the more you visit, and I don't mean every week, you could be really obnoxious if you're doing that, but the more that you do visit, the better you get acquainted with that person and begin to see when there are changes that are occurring in their, in their lives that you needed to be, need to be aware of. And they may also be willing to confide in you. You know, an elder may have come by two weeks ago and never learned anything about uh, what's really going on spiritually in that person's life. But you might come by as a deacon or a deaconess and they've decided, hey, you know what? As you're talking, maybe I should tell them that I'm getting really discouraged with the church. They just didn't feel like telling that to the elder, but they're willing to tell it to you. And this is before they stopped attending church, but they finally thought that maybe this is a good time to share that. So that's part of what can happen there. There can be extenuating circumstances when you may need to stay longer because of a particular problem. But especially on that first visit, be careful with that. Because even if they keep asking you questions, when you're gone, they may say, man, I thought I'd never get rid of them. And uh, it would be better for you to say, listen, um, I'll make an appointment and come back uh, to talk about this in a week. That way you get to move on. You don't teach them bad habits. 
and you also tell them that, uh, that you care because you're planning to come back. All right? Completing the visit. The closing conversation should be deeply spiritual and ended with prayer. Respectfully asking that radios or television be turned off, uh, down or off before you begin to pray. The prayer should be brief but comprehensive, enough to include the needs discussed during the visit. Call the family members by name in your prayer, and after you have prayed, leave promptly. It's a very important principle that we share with everybody when it comes to visitation because you're there on a spiritual journey, and if you have prayer and then you get out there and have a three-hour conversation on the porch about the car and everything else, what is it they're going to remember? They're going to remember the three-hour conversation at the end and not the spiritual visit and nature of the visit that you had there, and that's why you're there and want to be there. There are other times for talking about the car and working through that. Um, and then make sure that you write the information down. And I don't mean every little nuance and every little detail, but if you get in that home and it's the first time anybody in that church has been to that person's home, and maybe it's a, there's a lady who's been attending church for 15 years, but nobody's ever been to that home and never really got acquainted with a husband and doesn't, don't even know the husband's name because nobody's ever worked on that, and you get to the home and you, uh, and you get acquainted with the husband, write the husband's name down. So the next time you come, you don't forget, or the next time an elder comes by or whatever, they've got that resource to, uh, to, to be able to build on. And you know what? If the dog has a name, write the dog's name down. The dog's name is George, all right? Spot. Yeah, that's better. Not George. I guess there's some George dogs out there. But anyway, whatever the case may be, because that helps to build rapport and connection. Write some of those details down. Write down the date that you went by to visit and the basic thing that you accomplished in that visit. If you saw some specific needs that need to be addressed, write that down as well. There's several reasons for doing that, but one of them is you're probably a human being and you may not be able to remember everything that you need to remember. So when you get back to the deacons and deaconesses meeting uh, that next month, You've got a list of the things that you need to say, all right, I visited these people, yada, 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 and, uh, but one of these had a need. What was that need? Oh, yeah, here, I remember what it was. We need to see if we can't, and then you can begin to minister to that, all right? And uh, that's the basic process of visitation. All right, do you have any questions, any issues related to that that you want to share with me or that you want to raise? Please. Just raise up. 15 couple of things that will help you decide how you should manage that time. One of them is, is it your first visit or is it a repeat visit? If it's a repeat visit and you're coming back and from the other time people are asking you to come back, that means that you've been doing it right because they want you to come back. So I don't have a problem with that, okay? That takes me two, three hours from one. To what? To go visit them? Yeah, because drive a 45 I It's agree. Yeah. And you can't let them control your time forever, too. Now, there are some people that they're so lonely 
and they want somebody to come by. And listen, if you spent five hours there, it wouldn't be too much for them. All right? But it's too much for you. There, there is an appropriate time for a five-hour visit, but there's almost no appropriate time for a five-hour visit. The five-hour visit might be after a major tragedy in that person's life, and they need some special support as you're working through some things and helping them deal with, you know, maybe it's even funeral arrangements or, or something like that where you're trying to help them through a major crisis. That may be the appropriate time. But any other time that you're spending that much time there, you're enabling them and you are going to burn out if you do much of that along the way. Not a good idea. So you have to figure out how to budget your time and you also have to learn how to develop boundaries, appropriate boundaries. And they also have to be culturally appropriate because sometimes, uh, I think your background is Korean, and so you want to do whatever's appropriate in the Korean culture to, to do. But um, whatever the situation, you want to be managing that, but don't let that situation get out of hand for you. All right, Jim, you had your hand. Well, and the whole idea is... Jim, right? Jim. Yeah, okay. Too many gyms. Because they weren't in church. Mm-hmm. And perhaps when they want you back, maybe the idea you should give them is to, hey, I'll see you in church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sure. And expect to see them there. Sure. To... Uh, Absolutely. That's a good way to do it. Good way to do it. I wouldn't see why there would be another need, but maybe. But you know, sometimes when you get in there, you find there is a particular need that needs to be addressed. Maybe that need is you find out that they're struggling financially, and it's not that they don't have enough money, it's that they don't have enough money at the end of the month. And they've got to figure out how to budget things. Well, one of the things that you might be able to do is help them to learn how to manage their money and how to be able to handle some of those kinds of circumstances. And it may be you that needs to do that, or you need to bring somebody else who's good at that. Now, if you're no good at that, don't you try to solve their problem. But if you've got somebody who is good, if you're not good at it, bring them with and say, you know what, we've got somebody in the church who's just really super good at that, and do you mind if I bring him or her by, and they will be happy to help you to develop that. Oh, man, I'd really love that. I wanted to learn how to do this, and so on. So different opportunities. All right. Yeah. Another uh, thing is uh, there used to be a lady in our church named Pam. She introduced me to a guy named John. Um, he used to come to our church. We uh, used to drive over and get him because we lived out at the only a few miles down the road we moved away, we were about 12 miles from home. And we couldn't drive over there all the time, uh, 12 miles up, 12 miles back, and then all the way to the church, which is another 30 minutes. Uh, so we got another church, uh, uh, we contacted another church, and we got them to come and pick them up and take them to church. But that ain't where it ended. My wife will tell you, that guy, uh, we're still friends, but he, uh, he uses and abuses the situation a lot. Mm-hmm. Here's, what, here's what I want to say to you. <coughs> Visitation is a very important process in the local church. A lot of people have gotten discouraged visita- visiting because they have not learned how to manage people who abuse the system. Who, people who abuse people's visits, and I'm not talking about whatever I'm talking about, they take advantage of people's time and they deal with that. And so one of the things that you need to study into yourselves, get your, 
Get your elders and deacons and deaconesses together because you all face this problem with your pastor and say, Pastor, we're excited about going out and visiting, but we know that when we go out and visit that we're going to run into a problem because we already know that there's some people out there in our church like this that are likely to abuse this. How do we set boundaries? What's the appropriate way to set boundaries? Now listen, you want to somebody to help you and you don't have anybody and your pastor can't get it figured out and there's no resource around you, I will tell you that my wife is one of the best people when it comes to knowing how to help people learn to set boundaries. She's taught me and she's taught other people as well. You need to have boundaries. That's what I want you to go away from today with. That the visitation as we've talked about here is vital and important. There's a percentage of people that will abuse that process and you need to know how to handle that and there's two things you need to know about it number one it's appropriate to set boundaries and number two don't feel guilty when you enforce those boundaries because they will make you people who are manipulators and who are really abusive of that type of situation have learned very well how to make you feel guilty if you aren't there when they call you and expect you to be there and, and the appropriate way, to, the inappropriate way to do that is, would you quit bothering me? That's inappropriate, okay? Effective, perhaps, sometimes. But the ineffective way is to say, you know, I really care about you, and I want to be able to minister to, to you and the needs that you have. But let me tell you that when you call me every day, when I get home from work at 10 o'clock at night because you've got a problem, it gets really hard for me to know how to continue this relationship. But let me tell you that I want to continue this friendship, but this is how we need to do this, okay? I'll tell you what we're gonna do. I'm gonna call you once a week on Tuesday night at 6.30, all right? We're gonna talk for a half an hour. You see what I'm saying? You have set the boundary. You haven't told them that they're, they're unimportant, leave you alone, you don't care about them. But you have set a boundary that's manageable for you, appropriate to their situation, and you are going to be able to now work through that situation in an appropriate way. Now some people you'll have to say, not once a week because that's about the last thing you need, but that you will have developed some kind of a system that's appropriate for them and a boundary for them that will work and continue to meet their needs and not exclude them. Now there are some people, there are very few people, but there are some people who shouldn't be included in that system at all because they don't know how to manage it. And they just continue to abuse it. And at that point you have to say, all right, you violated the boundaries that we've established and for that reason we're not going to be able to continue this. You have to be willing to say that without guilt. And you, they'll make you feel guilty. But don't feel guilty because the devil uses rabbits to, to use you to uh, get them chasing those get you chasing those rabbits. So the people who really need your help, you can't help. And the souls that he wants to, that God wants to win, you can't get out there and help. And that's a really important issue. Okay. Uh, the other part of that is like um, we set boundaries and what not set boundaries. And what he says is. Oh, I forgot. I mean, I'm getting old. I can't remember that. Or I'll say, we'll get to hospital, visiting, they downstate, and you know, I'll tell them, I'm going to be gone so many days. Don't call me because I'm going to be tied up. He'll call anyhow and he'll say, 
Yeah, and here's 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 the issue. All he's doing is manipulating the situation. Okay, even if he did literally forget, that doesn't mean that you have to be manipulated by that circumstance. And so here's what I would say to him. Now, John, you have a habit of calling me when I'm going to be out of town, and your first line to me is, oh, I forgot, but then you keep going. Now, let me tell you, John, what that begins to do is it abuses my relationship with you, and it makes me not want to answer the phone at all, and I don't want that relationship with you. I want to know that we have a mutual relationship and a trust relationship together. So therefore, here's what I'm going to say to you. When I'm gone, I'm not answering the phone, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you're dying or you're in the hospital and it's legitimate, you can leave a message on my phone and you can tell me that you're dying. And when I call you, you better be almost dead. <laughs> but <laughs> you could add that. If you've got a good enough relationship, you could add that. Did you hear what he said? <laughs> or my wife is going to kill you. But, <laughs> but anyway, my, my point is, look, I'm giving you an immediately off-the-cuff reaction. Don't try to just simply go back and apply that. But you work that through with the Lord. If you need somebody who's good at that kind of thing, find them and begin to try to figure out how you're going to manage that. But don't let John continue to abuse that relationship. It's not fair to you, but most importantly, it's not fair to him because he's going to be doing that to other people as well and which drives him away from other people and they don't want to have anything to do with it. And some people want that because then they want to say, see, nobody loves me anymore. And it's just like that conflict thing that I started to read to you where the, where the guy starts talking to Ted and says, Ted, you're part of the problem. And see, we have to be willing to say to people from time to time, John, you're the problem. And I'm telling you that because I care about you. I so. actually uh, got into that conversation because uh, I've been helping help just recently to get a new pump, well pump thing into his house. Mm -hmm. And it's been, what, three months? He walked away from his house. Mm. He, did, he gave it to his nephew and said, I want them all. I said, John, you drove me crazy about helping you get water in your house. And now you walk away from it and, you know, you, you could have easily have sold the house and got another place moved somewhere else. Yeah. This issue is a really challenging one. And here's what I suggest to you. In the scope of what I'm doing, I can't address all of those issues. I'm glad to have had this conversation because I'm sure you've picked up some pointers along the way and it's, I couldn't have paid you to, to do that and, and had a better opportunity. So do I owe you anything? Oh, okay. <laughs> but my point of this is it's on the video and that and now the next step is this. If you find you're encountering those kinds of things and you are, I know you are, you're probably all encountering them. My suggestion is if you're struggling with those, get to all your deacons, your elders and deaconesses together and maybe even from surrounding churches and invite someone to come there and help you work through those issues and, and develop that. Make it a, a learning opportunity for you and so that you can begin to address that and deal with those specifics and the Lord will help you to work on that. All right, I've got a couple minutes left and I want to take uh, off and do a couple uh, other areas that are related to this. Um, 
the problem solving process is listed in here, page 145, and talks a little bit about the family, uh, a family system is characterized and some of the things there that can help with this. Then she points out, uh, he points out through, uh, through this, the problem solving process of engagement, assessment, definition, setting goals, alternatives, contracts, action, evaluation, continuation. Hey, that's really good stuff. It really is. But I want to underline something for you. You are not counselors. Thank you. Okay? You are not counselors. And I'm not trying here to train you to be a counselor. What I'm training you to be is a caring Christian. And as a caring Christian, you go around and you're going to visit people and you're going to find they have problems. And you'll find that they have problems, as you've described, that are bigger than just one visit. And they're bigger than one, two, or three visits. If the problem you discover is that, um, you know, Johnny, the 13-year-old, uh, keeps stealing the keys from the car and taking off and driving and get arrested by the police, it may simply be a little bit of a parenting. You know, as a parent, you might be able to say, you know, you might want to just get, put the keys in a safe and you could stop that problem. That only takes one visit. <laughs> you know, it may be that simple. But if you find it's because this child has other issues going on and you discover that it's, there's a lot more issues going on there, that's when you say, look, I can't handle this in one, two, or three visits. Therefore, it's time to refer it. You should not be dealing with the same problem for more than about three visits in trying to deal with an issue or problem. So the problems that you're dealing with are relatively quickly resolved and developing direction. These principles can help you even with that and even relatively simple things. But if it goes beyond that, have a strategy and a plan in mind that your board of elders and deaconesses and deacons have established as a way that you know who to refer to, you know what to do, and a pastor can say, well, let me know and I'll refer them to, and so on and so forth. Don't get absorbed in all of that, okay? You're not counselors and you don't want to get set up into that process. All right, the last thing I want to do in the last couple of minutes is this. Visitation and this kind of ministry opens a whole new area that can be of value to you and your work and your service in the community. I want you to remember that you are not only leaders of your church, but your community looks to you as also leaders in your community. And one of the reasons that you and I are not being very effective in winning souls is because we spend all our times navel-gazing. What I mean by that is we keep looking at ourselves, taking care of ourselves in the local church, but we don't go out and mingle with the people in the community. What can you as deacons and deaconesses do in meeting the needs of other people in the neighborhood? What if you go over to visit an elderly lady at her home and you get there and you find, man, her house is in great shape. It looks really good. And you know, you were really hoping it was falling apart so you had something you could do. But as you walk up the walk, you look at the house next door and you find out it's really, really falling apart. And you get in there and you're visiting and you're with, the, uh, with, the, with a lady and you say, you know, um, tell me about your neighbor. Oh, yeah, my neighbor. 
you know what, she lost her husband two years ago, and, and uh, man, they used to have a, an immaculately cared for lawn and, and, and all, but she is just not able to do it, and, and her husband did a lot of that work, and, and, and nobody seems to care about it, and she, her kids are in California, and yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ding, 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 what? Ministry opportunity, right? opportunity to care about somebody in that community. If you find that everybody has pristine homes and nobody needs any help, maybe you should go down to the local um, city council or city office or whatever and sit down with the mayor or the manager and, and say, look, you know, we're a church here and we're just wondering, is there something we can do for our community? And they will say, oh, you know what, we got everything in hand, no problems in this community, not gonna happen. But if you start getting into caring, and here's what I just want to leave you with as a final thought. What I'm sharing with you now is an expansion of your ministry into soul winning in ways that can be fun and really exciting. But you need to recognize that yes, you only have so much time, you can only do so much. But if you will work together as a team, you can get a lot of things done. And you may say, you know what, we've got, we've got 10 widows in our church and they all need help. So we're not going to help any. Well, that doesn't work either. So you've got 10 widows. Start with the first one. And as time allows, work through that process and then go on to the next one. And then you'll begin to see that God begins to build your ministry. And you know what? Here's a really strange thought. When it comes to helping uh, somebody in their home get it fixed up, does it have to be done only by a deacon or a deaconess? No. What about that other 80% of the members that are doing nothing in the church? What an opportunity for them to get involved. And you begin to see now that ministry expands significantly. Your visitation opens up all kinds of doors and chances for you to care about people. God bless you as you begin to apply that. Do I see your hand? So I'm closing. My daughter and her husband are Pathfinder leaders. Mm -hmm. we found, they found out through that there was somebody who needed help. It was a project that the Pathfinders did as they went out and they raked the yard and mm -hmm. cleaned up mm -hmm. the yard and replanted flowers. It was wonderful for the kids to do mm -hmm. that. Fabulous. See? Blending the other ministries in the church together, pulling them all together. All right, let's have prayer. i got to quit. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us uh, in our uh, study today. Uh, Lord, as we visit people, um, visitation means really getting acquainted with people. It means really caring about those people. And sometimes, Lord, it's, it's even a little overwhelming thinking about what those needs might be and how we will be able to meet them. But Lord, just, uh, just as Jesus walked this earth and from, went from place to place and ministered to those needs, one at a time, we can do the same thing. So I pray that you will help us with this work and that it will become an effective ministry in our communities as well. As we go our way today, go with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.